Welcome to Box Up Banter, where we are a month away from the playoffs. Holy shit. I'm Chris Okamura. This is always Jordan Christmas. What's going on, Jordan? When you say that we're a month away from the playoffs, it's actually kind of... It's actually surreal. It, time has flown by. It felt like I was watching the bubble just yeah. yesterday. It felt like last week the season was suspended. It feels like we've been living in suspended time. But we're here. Uh, just ready for the playoffs i guess is 16 more games or something like that um some some teams are playing like 17 games in the last 21 days or something like that which this is gonna be wild but yeah we're here or at this point at least so yeah uh so i do want to tell a story first we were talking oh yes yes we got it for full context i was uh chris posted a very adorable video of his daughter hooping in the backyard making a shot and i'm sure it was a very proud dad moment for you but there is a lot more backstory to this we wanted to wait until the podcast to share with you esteemed listeners yeah yeah. so So i'm giving you the floor got it so like i was telling jordan so we had a basketball hoop in my backyard forever uh since i was a little kid we used to play three and three and like we used to have people all over all the time. We used to do three on three basketball tournaments in my backyard with like 20 people. We used to play three on three. Uh, good time. Good memories as a kid. Uh, so then uh, I got married a couple years ago and we used, the, we used that backyard for the reception. And so we moved the basketball hoop away and we just never moved it back. And so we were watching, uh, there's a show on Disney Plus. If anyone is a basketball fan, which you, if you're listening to this, you're not a basketball fan. Why the fuck are you listening to this? Um, Please keep we, listening. <laughs> just keep listening anyway, but like, why? <laughs> uh, the, uh, there's a show called Big Shots. Uh, and so essentially the basic story is uh, John Stamos plays a, like a big shot college coach. He looks just like Rick Pitino, which is kind of crazy. Uh, they make him look, you know, slick back hair and, you know, kind of good looking, whatever. And so, yeah, he so he gets in trouble for throwing a chair at a ref. You know, the little Bobby Knight. <laughs> Wait, what, really? <laughs> yeah. He gets in so the basic premise is he gets he gets kicked out of NCAA because he's toxic and he's like you know, it's it's the Bobby Knight thing, right? I was going to say it sounds like somebody just wanted to write a twisted story of of the Bobby Knight incident. Yeah. <laughs> so he he gets fired and he's like toxic and no one wants him. So the only job that he can get to like continue his career and probably and try to get back to college is a coaching a all girls private school high school team in San Diego. Great location. Right. San Diego Beautiful location, obviously. And it's a private school, so it's fucking gorgeous. So anyway, it's him sort of meeting these girls and, and learning how to bond and you know learning, you know, all this all the kind of uh traditional Disney sports movie tropes. So if you've yeah. seen like You've seen, you've seen uh, remember the Titans or the, the Rookie or you know any of those? You kind of understand Mighty Ducks. Mighty Ducks. You you understand the premise of this of this show, and you understand. Yep. How this work. <laughs> it's just expanded um, out into multiple episodes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, first episode's great. My dad's in love with it. My dad loves that kind of stuff, and and so do I. And so yeah, you know, it's a great show. Um, and so yeah, my daughter watched that with us, and then wanted to go play basketball, and you know. My household, I 
I basketball's on twenty four seven almost. Um, so she it 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 irritates her to a certain extent. But this is the first time that she showed interest in like wanting to go play basketball. So I go all right. So we moved the basketball hoop with uh, some difficulty, but we got it moved back. I'm not. I'm old, man. I'm old, and it's been, we haven't gone outside in over two years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so then, you know, the basketball hoop a little tougher than you thought, huh? <laughs> yeah, um, but it's good because then it gives me it gives me and my dad both like an excuse to go out and shoot and, and kind of move around a little bit. I've gone running a little bit since like the pandemic stuff has loosened up, and like I'm getting my vaccine shot on. I'm getting my first vaccine shot on Friday, so I'm pretty. Oh, excited I'm getting mine next Tuesday. I'm pretty stoked. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as we start to get back to normal, as we start to get back to sort of what the new normal is and, and being able to go outside, it's just been a good uh, thing to do. But and, and, and anyway, um, she didn't want to use a real basketball. So she, you're using these uh, like handballs, you know, like the rubber, the rubber handballs, whatever. And they're mm-hmm. lighter for her to throw. So it's not a big deal. Um, so me and my dad are sitting there trying to shoot and adjust to these lighter balls. And like, you know, we're clanking them off everywhere because Fucking! I flick my wrist, and that thing flies thirty feet in the air. Right? <laughs> um, right. And so, you know, so we're trying to dial it in, and I'm, she's kind of playing around. She's not really shooting; she's just kind of messing around. Um, you know, dribbling the ball, bouncing the ball around. And I was like, "All right, cool, whatever." And so, I'm not really paying attention. I'm like half paying attention. You know, as a parent, and you'll learn this when you when you have kids. The you're you're always like half paying attention. She, you're always, she's always in the corner of your eye. Yeah. You know, and You're so I'm trying to like dial it at least in some degree, right? So like I'm just kind of dialing my shot. I'm trying to focus on that, but I'm still keeping an eye on her. And all of a sudden, she runs up to the basket and lays it up, and it goes in, and I flipped out. And so I like tackled her and I grabbed her. I was like, okay, try it again. And then so it took another five or ten minutes, but that was recording after that. And then that's when we got the second shot of her making the basket, and she made like four or five of them after that too. Um, Damn, natural and already. It's, it's the first time of her like actually trying to shoot a basketball. Um, and she so, looked super was, excited um, when she made yeah. it too. That was the best part of the video. Like you could see like yeah. an inkling of like her being interested in a sport that you have on in your house, like you said, twenty four seven, like a sport everybody loves. Which is, you know, I think obviously I'm biased, but it's the best sport <laughs> in the country. Um, the, the most artistic sport in the country just it just in terms of expressive yeah yeah exactly it which is art in a way is very expressed that's why that's where the art part of it comes it is very it's a very expressive game and i love that sure absolutely you must have been a very proud dad that day one of your top five moments probably oh a hundred percent a hundred percent uh that's awesome Maybe what? Maybe she'll catch fire one day, like Steph Curry, when she, uh, you know, gets big enough to play in leagues and stuff. Oh, like dude, that. I was gonna, I was gonna tweet that video at Gino Ariema. Yo, you ready? What's up? I was gonna tweet that video at Gino Ariema and be like, "Yo, bro, you ready? You ready for the next?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, very heartwarming story. Um, very uh, awesome video if you guys don't follow Chris on Twitter um, but uh, dude I got to uh, I got to just mention real quick well not mention real quick because it is a basketball podcast and we do talk about basketball <laughs> but the run that Steph Curry is on and I'm oh, recording okay. this as 
the Sixers Warriors game is about to start. Very sad Ben Simmons is not playing tonight. I would have loved to see that matchup of him hounding Steph around the perimeter. But this, I think, and I am a Steph Curry enthusiast, all the way back to the March Madness uh, tournament with, in his tournament run with Davidson, that I think this is the best I've seen him play. And that is saying something, considering he was the league's first unanimous MVP and the best player on a 73-win team, was a three-time champion, all that stuff. Dude, this guy is averaging, and I have it in front of me because I pulled it up, the last 10 games... <laughs> The last uh the last 10 games uh Steph Curry is on. Oh wait, hold on. Basketball reference is messing with me right now. Okay, last 10 games. Are you ready? Yes. 39 points a game. 6.4 rebounds per game. Four and a half assists per game. The shooting splits. 54.6 field goal. 48.6% from three on 14 attempts per game. Oh, and if you think that's all he's getting his points from, nah. He's going to the free throw line eight times a game, shooting 90% from the foul line. And by the way, this is just, this is obviously like just a very hot streak he's on. He's been dominant all season. And this, for me, as a big Steph Curry fan, has been cathartic because this is who he has always been. Even before Kevin Durant signed, even before going all the way back to his college days, this is who Steph Curry has been. He has been a great player, was already a champion before Kevin Durant arrived, was a back-to-back MVP before Kevin Durant arrived. He was... Arguably, while Kevin Durant was obviously the better player, I think Steph was the most important player on the Warriors. And after Kevin Durant left, people were like, oh, can Steph carry a team? Can Steph do this? I'm like, did we not just see what he did before Kevin Durant came? And he's proved it. Like, he's proved it again. And I love it, dude. Like, and I think, honestly, he could play for a long time after, like, he's 33 right now. What, you think he has, like, how many years would you say he has with this style of play, which really isn't relying on athleticism all that much, yeah. especially now that he's older? Um, it's I mean, all he just can play, he can play forever. It's the Reggie Miller. I mean, he's running off a million screens here. Yeah, he, that's the other thing too. Like his hand-eye coordination won't deteriorate with age. He's only going to get smarter because great players always pick up little tricks as they get older, and. He's one of the best conditioned athletes ever. Like, I don't think people realize that he's probably the greatest off-ball force ever. And not I'm not just talking about, like, running off screens and pin downs and stuff like that. This guy leverages his gravity, setting screens, springing people free. Like, he is a, he's the, cent- the central force on and off the ball for the Warriors. And he's doing it with guys like Kent Bazemore missing free throws in crunch time. Draymond Green missing a layup against the Celtics in crunch time. He's doing it with G League people. And Draymond Green, who is arguably, he has been as good defensively this year as he's been, is just nothing offensively. except for his year on offense. Like, it's cratered. His shot's cratered. He doesn't want to shoot when he's wide open. Like, 
Steph is doing it all. And oh my god, dude, watching that Celtics game, that layup that you're talking about, Draymond gets the handoff and and drives to the basket. And I literally yelled, "No, <laughs> I'd rather have Steph take a like a contested mid range or like a contested three from the fucking half court." <laughs> I didn't. Okay, so. I know Draymond smoked the layup, but that's a play I've seen them run like successfully a billion times, like yeah. the fake dribble handoff where Draymond gets a layup. And he still smoked it. And I'm just like, Steph cannot, I don't mind the shot personally, but I get what you're saying. But like, dude, it just, so- it just piles on. It is, it is, it does, it is shitty. Like, I would have rather just, had Steph take the shot. I was, making, but, yeah. I was making a meme the other day. I was like, dude, would you trust Steph? A content, okay, game on the line for your life. You're betting your life on this. Crunch time. Well, I'm taking Steph. I know what you're going to ask. I'm taking Steph with anything. <laughs> you, want, you, want a, you want a contested Steph three or do you want a wide open Paul George corner three? Yeah, I think I would. I think I would take. Uh, I would take Steph in any situation. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I don't think you understand the depths of my Curry fandom here. Like, I would take Steph in any situation. I always. I also think like his finals performances. That whole narrative where he, like, okay, you could say he might have played like ninety five percent of what he was in all those final seasons compared to his regular season, but he was still great. He still yeah. made big shots. Like, I think he Steph's had big value, playoff games. For me, to me, Steph's value isn't even his max value isn't even when he's shooting when he makes a shot. It's just no. him being on the court. It's his it, gravity that makes it's it. It's the fun. greatest. Like I said, he's the greatest off-ball force ever. Like when he's on the court, the Warriors' offense is historic. Well, okay, not this year, obviously, given the talent around him. But the offense is still really good when he's on the court, given the talent around him, which goes to show you how great he is. Yeah. Like. It's, Quit uh, playing with that man's name is basically the end of my rant. Quit again, playing my, with that man. <laughs> my only concern, my only thing with Steph, my only thing, and we've gotten to this before, is when Steph, this isn't you, so I'm not calling you out, but when Steph stands, starts saying that he's better than Magic Johnson, that's oh, no. where I draw no. the line. I think he's the second best point guard ever, but to me, Magic wasn't just the best point guard ever. He's a top five player of all time. Yeah, like let's let's stop that, right? Let's stop that right now. He's still the greatest passer ever. I agree, Steph is great. I don't have him as high as you. I have I have Zeke a little higher, but again, I think all of I think he's debate. He's in the top five for sure, and where you want to put him in there is easy for debate. To me, there's no question who the top point guard of all time is. Oh yeah, no question. Yeah, and there is probably going to be that for a long time too. It's probably going to remain that way for a long time. And the thing is, it. It's it's the kind of thing of as soon as you say Steph's the greatest point guard of all time, I instantly tune out anything that you're gonna say. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I just go like, yeah, I just don't care about your opinion anymore. <laughs> when we when we host, uh, by the way, this is the twentieth episode of the Bob, which I is it's very is a very great milestone. But I can't wait for when we do episode 100 and Steph hopefully maybe has five championships and I just come in with a st- stone cold Steve Austin elbow to your head saying that <laughs> Steph is better than Magic. <laughs> it's seeing your reaction. No, no. But in all seriousness, like, no, I'm not going to go that far. Obviously, I mean, it, like I said, it's not just that Magic was the greatest point guard ever. He's a top five player, period, of yeah, all time. I think like, people, people need to go back and like, when you watch Magic games, 
you watch him and you go, holy shit, how do you stop him? Yeah, he was don't. an anomaly. Like him and Larry yeah. Bird were an, an anomaly in every sense of the word. And when you like, think about when you think about the spacing too, like think about Magic, right? Think about Magic as a big point guard that's backing down guards and like doing all this stuff and he's agile and all this stuff. But he's doing it where he has no spacing. Yeah, and there's so, like three so people three, in the paint. <laughs> yeah, there's three people in the paint. He's backing down guards. Yep. And you're like, man, can you imagine Magic today? Most creative passer ever, too, by the way. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. Some of the... Dude, even even Fat Magic, when he came back in the 95-96 yeah, like, season, when he did that fake to Spreewell, like, he's oh just so God. smooth. The, the slide of hand with the ball, it's the best I've seen from a guard. And I obviously didn't grow up watching Magic, but, like, you know, you grow up a basketball fan. You're, my dad's telling me about Magic. I'm watching old-timey NBA documentaries on Magic and stuff like that on TV. And you could just see the slide of it. Like, it was just different. Like, you could tell it was different. And yeah. you, there's been a lot of great point guards since. I know people want to say analytically, Chris Paul's the greatest point guard ever. No, I don't agree with that. I do think he's a top five point guard ever, though. Mm -hmm. um, but Magic, man. Like, the champion, the championships, the accolades, the the stats, everything, just the winning, who he was as a player, like the creativity, like, nah, I, I'm not going to go that far. So you don't have to worry about that for me from this Steph stand. <laughs> yeah. Again, that's, that, that's my only gripe. I have Steph in the top five where you want to put him. That's a little different, but he's not one. One is untouchable. It's like, again, shooting guards to me, one, two with Kobe and oh, Kobe and Jordan. You can't touch those two anywhere else. You want to go after that. It's fine. I have D Wade third, but yeah. yeah, D Wade would be D Wade would be my third. Yeah, like, but um, uh, it'll be interesting when Steph retires. Um, where how he's talked about when he his career's over, and how uh, the discourse will be in terms of his all time rankings, because I think he's very close to the. Yeah, Kendrick Perkins said the other day. Um, and honestly, I I think I said this on the last pod. I in long form and on Twitter, I'm not gonna lie. I'm a fan of Kendrick Perkins, but when yeah. it's like when he's doing short hits on the jump and you know get up on ESPN and it's just like oh my god just uh but uh no, he explains he himself said, he's right yeah. most of the time you like when he like or at least i could see where he's coming from right yeah but like he he said that uh Steph is top 10 of all time and i think he's extremely close like i think when it's just in terms of influence how he changed offenses how he changed how defenses guard him like it's 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 going to be interesting to see where he is all time on everybody's consensus all time rankings when his career's over. Like, dude, I really felt like the Warriors were up one against the Celtics with like a minute thirty left. Kent Bazemore gets fouled, bricks both free throws. Celtics come down and score. They run a fake dribble handoff. Draymond Green get <laughs> misses the layup. And Steph is still keeping them in the game on a sprained ankle, by the way. And he hits this ridiculous contested corner three where he dribbles away from Marcus Smart, sidesteps the foot that he is pushing off of is his sprained ankle. And he just swishes, wets a, th a corner three to bring the Warriors within one, I think. And it was like 10 seconds left. Like, the dude is incredible, man. Like... Just shout out Steph. Uh, he's not going to win MVP 
Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he finished in the top five, like for voting. Yeah, but he's garbage. That team is straight up garbage. And yeah, it, before you know, Portland fans, if somehow Portland fans catch this podcast and we catch a stray from Portland fans on Twitter, <laughs> we love Damian Lillard too. We don't need to bring up Damian Lillard every time. I have been bothered by this too because I think Embiid and Jokic is heading that way in terms of the last few years. The debate between Steph and Dame has become oh, he's better. Oh, he's better. I'm going to drag Steph down to bring Dame up. Or every time Steph has a big game, they're like, uh, well, what? It, well, look at what Dame had tonight or vice versa. And it's like, no, like this is an all, by the way, Steph is a better player than Dame, but we're not going to go there anyway. <laughs> uh, but Steph has been incredible and I'm giving him his flowers right now because they're not going to go far in the playoffs, but goddamn, the Warriors are wasting Another prime year of Stephen Curry, and it, it kind of uh, kind of sucks. Yeah, totally feel totally feel you there. So, but, but uh, that's 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 all I had for my uh, Steph Curry rant. Um, what yeah, do you no. think about? Oh, sorry, go ahead. I, I I I like it. I think he obviously he's the one carrying my fantasy team right now. So I'm. <laughs> I am um, doing very poorly. Well, we're in the playoffs now, baby. For uh, we've, uh, we've I'm the four, I've snuck into the playoffs as the fourth seed. So, yeah. <laughs> <Not>. <laughs> I'm like five, my record was like five and ten. I was, I was <laughs> awful. It injuries and all that. I thought Blake Griffin was a would be a sneaky pickup for me at the beginning of the season. I was like, oh, maybe he can have a little bit of a resurgence in Detroit. No, no, <laughs> no. no. Just Nothing. stuff like that kind of bit me in the ass. I thought I would. I thought I had like four D four dimensional chess moves, and they were like nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, the thing I wanted to bring up, so we have some, some of the races are tightening. Um, yes. uh, the interesting thing to me is we could have a rush of injuries here that are pretty fascinating. I think the most notable one, we've been singing the praises of the Nuggets for the past. Yeah, we haven't potted since this happened. Yeah, and uh, Jamal Murray went down. So how do you... Do you, do you still believe in the Nuggets without Jamal Murray? Um, how, much, how much does your Jamal Murray injury affect your belief in these Nuggets? So, when uh, so the re- full disclosure, the reason we didn't do the podcast last week is because my adapter was defective. It kept flickering on and off, and then it went kaput. And so, I got a new one. It came in around. It came. It came Wednesday morning. Um, and I recorded a pod on Thursday, a Sly Hooper pod. And I remember saying that, um, I don't think the Nuggets are a serious contender anymore. Can they make a dark horse run if Jokic averages like 35, 11 and nine, which is certainly possible. Um, sure. But like, I thought. And with the way the Nuggets were playing since the Aaron Gordon trade, I thought the Nuggets were, I was ready to put, I actually, I think I told you, I put the Nuggets basically ahead of the Suns and the Clippers and the yeah. Jazz. Like, I just, one, I always liked the Nuggets. I was, I've always been a big Jokic fan. I just need to put the right pieces around him. And I knew Jamal Murray was going to, you know, 
come out of his early season slump. That's what he always does. Every year he's a slow yep. starter for the last few years. Kind of like uh and we used to talk about Lonzo Ball. Obviously, Jamal Murray's a better player, but like you they're slow starters uh to every season. There's players who are slow starters, but it's not just the fact that Jamal Murray was the Nuggets' second best player. Like that offense, Jokic and Murray is an offense unto itself. And then Gordon made everything else fall into place. Like Michael yeah. Porter Jr. got to Michael Porter Jr. gets more wide open shots while Gordon has instinctive cutting ability. Michael Porter Jr. doesn't have to guard the best guy anymore, even though he's improved on defense. He's not having to guard Kawhi Leonard and Paul George like when the Nuggets played the Clippers a few weeks back on TNT. It, everything just fell into place. The the Nugget, you could say whatever you want about the Nuggets bench. Do they have enough size and shooting off of it? I like a lot of their players coming off the bench. I just thought they had a really good roster, and I thought they were a serious contender. Not like a, oh, that's cute. The Nuggets are a plucky team. They might go on a hot run like they did in the bubble. I thought they were a full-stop contender because their defense improved with Gordon there, and Gordon's instinctive cutting and his pass, his ability to do everything good, not or well and not great, was kind of the perfect like profile for a fourth role, a fourth option or a third option. And it just all fit perfectly. And now without Murray there, you more Michael Porter Jr., more Aaron Gordon. You're going to have to rely on Will Barton more, and Will Barton has had a down year. Um, if people don't remember last year, Will Barton was awesome before he got injured, before the bubble. Um, it just hurts the Nuggets a lot, is basically my roundabout way of saying. like this. Yeah. I really think this injury just... It, honestly, I would... My ranking of contenders, I would go uh, full or fully healthy Lakers, Suns, Clippers, Jazz, than Nuggets if we had yeah. to rank the five contenders because those have been the five teams all year, right? Yeah, and I, I do I do want to say too that like given the way that this is going, obviously the Lakers are going to get Anthony Davis back soon. Um, we're still not sure about LeBron, but news is that Anthony Davis will probably be back next week or the week after. Um, mm -hmm. It's looking more and more like the Lakers are going to be locked into this fifth seed just given the uh, well, actually they could go to the fourth seed, but it, fourth or fifth seed so if the Nuggets are locked yeah, into given there, the Blazers' well, recent rut too, like it's looking yeah. like the Lakers are going to be in the fifth seed. Yeah. So you know, given given the 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 way the standings currently sit and the way it's probably going to shake out, the Nuggets are going to run into the Lakers in the first round, and I think that that's just going to be a death sentence to them. Um, yeah. Where you know, I think it, if they had Jamal Murray, it would have been a really fun series to watch. I think without Jamal Murray, their offense becomes very one dimensional, and then it's just not. Uh, it becomes very Jokic dependent too. Yeah, and and especially I think not bad, I think, but I think you can get away with that with having a very Jokic centric offense against a team like the Clippers, uh, mm. that do struggle with the size. When you have a team where the size and their inside game is the strength, and Jokic is going to have to contend with Anthony Davis and now Drummond, uh, and you know, on a day, on a regular basis, I don't necessarily think that it's going to be the best thing for Jokic. Uh, Jokic's wind, um, and really, really, I think that's going to really hurt them down the road. You know, in, in just, this Jokic is just going to have to. I think Jokic has the ability to up his production, but there's not that secondary guy from the perimeter anymore. That's 
Well, especially from the perimeter at the guard spot with Jamal Murray is like I said, it's a lot more Will Barton. It's a lot more. You got to hope Monty Morris and Faku Campazzo do well off the bench, which, you know, you don't want to ever rely on bench players to consistently fill that hole for you. And even if they do, you can't completely replace Jamal Murray. It's just a this season has been awful with injuries anyway. I have a lot of thoughts on (laughs) this season and. Did the job that Adam Silver is doing, and I'm glad people are ter- <laughs> come to realize that Adam Silver maybe isn't the great, ungodly, untouchable commissioner that everybody thought he was. But that's another I don't story. Think he's an ungodly commissioner. I think he's. I think he's been a really good commissioner. I think that it's just uh, there's been mistakes here and pitfalls here and there. I don't doubt that he's still the best commissioner in sports, but it's it's a pretty low bar. I will say. Eh, I eh, I think he's overrated. I I. I think he has obviously made good decisions, but I think he is still living off of the fact that he got a racist owner out of the league, which is one of the easiest decisions you can make. And I think he gets a little too much credit for a game or the global the global growth of the game and the revenue jump in the game. I think he gets way too much credit for it because I think David Stern had the league in that direction anyway. Yeah, think, and Adam think- Silver just picked it up. But yeah, no, I, I definitely think that's true. I think my point, my main thing goes to like the NBA is still the best run league of the of the of the three to four major leagues in the world. Or oh, for the, sure, for sure. I think that they're still the best run league. And again, mm. to me, if you, when you're saying is Adam Silver the best commissioner in sports, yes. Is it a pretty low bar? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> also, yes. <laughs> also, yes. Um, but uh. So, okay, so what's your feeling on the Nuggets? Do you think they could still... Well, you already said that they'd have to face the Lakers, so that would obviously be tough sledding. If they didn't face the Lakers, what do you think about them? I think it depends on the matchup. I think they still can give a team trouble. I don't have them in the finals anymore. I mean, I remember I've been riding the Suns to the conference finals since before the season started. And then the Gordon trade happened, you're like, I'm out. (laughs) Right, Well, because I saw... What you saw, I saw the potential. I saw what they were doing, and it's it was like, oh my god, this is insane! How can you beat this? You definitely uh, did what I deep down wanted to do, <laughs> yeah, which was put the Nuggets in in the as the second best team in the West right after the Gordon trade. So you definitely were more brave than I was, but uh, but yeah, I I see where you're coming from with that. And so you know, it's it was the thing of okay, now I go back to the Suns because to me it. The one dimensionality of an offense is a death sentence in the playoffs. When your mm-hmm. offense becomes extremely one dimensional, especially when you have teams that are great defensively, you have the Jazz, the the teams that you have to beat, right? You have the Jazz, the Clippers, and the Lakers, mm-hmm. and then the Suns can kind of match up with them at almost every position. So when you look at at uh, obviously Jokic has a. a advantage over Aiden, but it's not like Aiden's a scrub that you can kind of just bully around. And by the way, Aiden's been playing amazing the last few weeks. That's what I'm saying. Like he's he is still a a talented individual that can, you know, wreak havoc if you let him Hmm. free. So you can't, you know, when you the only team that I think they could beat or give trouble to is the Clippers because of again the we've talked about weeks now is their lack of size and their lack of bigs. 
Um, yeah. I think Rondo really helps them, and, and we've seen them play better with Rondo. But I think that there's Lakers Twitter is mad at Rondo. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> it's like this but is playoff Rondo in the regular season, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, they need the help, right? Yeah. Um So you know, I think I think it's a little bit different when and everything slows down. I don't know how great they're going to be able to handle someone like Jokic. That's why I worry about the Clippers too. Every team that they have to beat as dominant inside games, or at least the potential to do that with, you know, Aiton, Gobert, Anthony Davis. I don't know how much firepower the Clippers have to match. And again, all of these teams also have the perimeter defenders to, if not, you're not going to shut down Kawhi and Paul George, but you can at least bother them enough to where, you know, when it's super easy to score inside on them, Paul George and Kawhi have to work that much harder on the perimeter and they have the defenders to throw at them. I will say with the Clippers, because that's another team I did want to bring up. I am recalibrating my thoughts on the Clippers a little bit. Um, So for a month plus now, they've been a top six defense in terms of defensive rating and the rim protection has actually been top 10 um, since uh, March 6th, I believe seems like they're fixing some problems also they've just been winning a lot of also they've just been winning a lot of uh games recently like yeah. they've been on like two different winning streaks what's up you've been blowing out some teams oh yeah and paul george and Kawhi leonard well paul george mainly because Kawhi's been out but paul george has been incredible all year and um yeah. i this is and this is why i have the clippers over the jazz just because i trust um paul george and Kawhi in playoff settings more than I trust Donovan Mitchell, who right. who really, like, he's a good player. And I'm not, Donovan Mitchell's obviously been incredible this year himself. He's had a career year. But I just want to see Mitchell do it more often. Because last year against the um, the Nuggets, they didn't lose that series because, you know, it was Donovan's fault or anything like that. By the way, Mike Conley almost won that series for the uh, for the Jazz. I think people forgot that. Like, it was an in and out three. But um, yeah. but Donovan Mitchell in that series showed me that he at least can he is capable of doing that. But I want to see him kind of do it again because I think that's the way the Jazz offensively can get by in the playoffs is they just need a half court. Um, they need they obviously need isolation scoring. Um, and but Mitchell will shoot you out of a game. Um, yeah. Right. He, I mean, he's the classic chucker. He, when it goes well, it goes great. But when it goes bad, man, it goes bad. I would say he's better. I'd say Chucker is a too broad, but I see where you're. I see where you're going with that because there are, like I said, there are there are a lot. There are times where he'll shoot you out of a game. But um, since uh, the All Star break, especially, it's been amazing, and I hope he's all right from that sprained ankle. By the way, I had no idea there was a 12 a.m. game or a noon game on a Saturday. Who who yeah, asked for that? Weird. I woke up and I was like, "This game's on." <laughs> I I was like, "Okay, I guess I'll watch this." Uh, who wanted to ask for the Jazz and Pacers on a Saturday at noon, right? <laughs> but um, hope he's better from that. But yeah, um. I'm starting to recalibrate my thoughts on the Clippers a little bit. And Rondo has been playing like his hair has been on fire since the trade, or at least by his standards. Um, but I would still, I think the nut, uh, the, I almost combined nuggets and sons and said nuns, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think the Suns can and will, I think get the one seed, especially depending on how long this Mitchell injury lasts. Um, but 
I would definitely have the Clippers as the third contender right now. But fully, again, it's still status quo. Fully healthy Lakers. I'm just giving them the benefit of the doubt. And then the Suns, I, the Suns is the same thing with the Clippers, right? Paul, or not Paul George, Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Like those two, I know that they can operate in tight quarters in the playoffs in the half court because they have a great half court offense. Their offense has caught. And remember earlier in the year, their defense was like top six, but their offense was still middle of the road. Still cat. Now they're both top. T- they're top ten in both offensive and defensive efficiency. Um. So I really now that the Nuggets are kind of back down to the dark horse tier, I uh, I'm kind of back on the Suns being in the Western Conference uh, Finals again, like being the favorites at least. At least. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I've. I've. I've ridden the Suns to the Western Conference Finals all year, except for well, last week. But, <laughs> you had a moment of weakness, Chris. It wasn't I, your fault. <laughs> hey, man, every relationship has a moment of weakness, and you have to make that turn. <laughs> hey, hey, I, I hear you. I hear you. Oh, I okay, so I have a question for you. What did you think about... Um, <laughs> what did you think about Luca and Mark Cuban's <laughs> recent comments about the play-in uh, tournament? Given the fact that Mark Cuban was the one who also he was part of the reason why the plans are happening, he voted for this shit, <laughs> and now all of a sudden it's an issue. <laughs> yeah, uh, again, it, to me, it always it always comes back to a thing where when it works out for you, it's the same thing with the buyout market stuff. Where like, hey, if it works out for you, or if it works against you, you don't like it. But if it works for you, if your team's the one doing it, then it's like, cool, I'd like this. Um, you know, I. So it it to me it just comes off as like petty and comes off as like whiny yeah kind of like how luca whines to the officials all the time too <laughs> or hits on them <laughs> oh, <know>. wow <laughs> <laughs> at least he's consistent right <laughs> yeah i guess um but uh it yeah it just comes off as i mean mark cuban is no stranger to whining about the NBA and whining about the reps and stuff like that. But like my whole thing is like, you knew the rules going into this. Like yeah. you voted for it. Yeah, it wasn't like this was a surprise. Like it wasn't like this was the bubble where, Oh, we don't know what's going on and we're making this up as we go. Like, no, this was set before you even started the season. Yeah. Like the, you knew when the bubble decided to have the play in tournament, it was probably going to be a test run. I'm neutral on the play in. Like, I think I've come out as neutral um after you know watching it in the bubble and stuff like that and for this season it makes sense obvious i think it makes sense to have a play in tournament for this particular season um given the shortened games and stuff like that but um i i don't know we all knew what was gonna happen oh my god steph curry just dotted his own older brother or little brother (laughs) with a three right in his face (laughs) i think i feel bad but no um i just i don't know the play the play in tournament I, I like it for this year, but we all knew the rules uh, going into this, and I just feel like Mark Cuban and Dallas they don't they don't do themselves any favors, especially like I mentioned earlier, like Luca's incessant whining is just it. I love watching him play. I get annoyed watching him play when he constantly and all the stars do this, but I they it's just a lot more complaining now, and I hate to sound like a forty year old basketball fan, but like. I swear when I was growing up and even in the early 2000, the, the 2010s, late 2000s, I swear I didn't see this much complaining. 
I, I don't know if I'm crazy. I don't know if you think differently, but like, man, dude, like there are some there are some players who are known for bitching at the officials, and it's kind of annoying, not gonna lie. Yeah, totally agree. It's uh it's kind of yikes. <laughs> and like, you know, for me, for me, it's a thing of I completely understand like complaining a call and I completely understand why you complain a call and why you need to, if not complain a call, because you're not going to get it reversed, right? But like to set the expectation of like, hey, this is happening. Can you watch this or can you know? Yeah, what's keep it consistent on? on both sides. Right. And I think that sometimes you see players doing that where, you know, you see players go by and like, I see um, this is something like Marcus Gasol does all the time where you see him go to the ref and he's not complaining about the call. He's not saying that was a foul. He's just saying, Hey, like, what are you, like, he's asking, like, what are you calling this? Or like, what did you see? Or, you know, he's, he's asking, he's having a dialogue. Right. Yeah. Um, whereas a lot of the times, especially with younger players, like Luca, they're literally complaining the call that just happened. And it's like, dude, you're not going to get them to change their mind. Like the, the best you can do is get them to understand or get them to see your side of it. Mm-hmm. And that's the best you can do. And they, again, the only thing that you see from young players is like, yeah, you see them try to complain and get the call changed or reversed. And it's like, dude, that doesn't happen. Yeah. And that's and, to me where it's annoying, where it's like, well, okay, you're not, like, what are you doing? And well, I think it also doesn't help. And from the other side of it, I just, uh, I think the game is just, the way the game is called for offensive players is kind of ridiculous now. Like the whole yeah. pump fake jump two feet forward or to the side into a defender or whatever like it's not if it's not a natural shooting motion then it shouldn't be a shooting foul or whatever yeah. and like just me, stuff me, like that me leaning into a defender like jumping into a defender should have the same call as like the reggie miller kicking your foot out yeah because that's not and i'm glad i think shams reported a few weeks ago that yeah, at the end of the season the league the league is going to look at that with the with the refs union or whatever it was like they're basically going to look at legislating how to call these type of fouls which thank god but like even stuff like um and look players will adjust if you change how the, yeah. the fouls are called um it's just that now that they are calling fouls for basically everything players are smartly manipulating how to get foul calls and um that doesn't mean that it's okay that doesn't mean i have to like it but it's it's the same reason why the heart and rip through started happening because again i'm not the biggest it started with kd remember in 2010 when phil jackson bitching complained about it (laughs) yeah but like to me it's it comes back to the thing of like i don't i don't i'm not particularly a huge james harden fan i think he's talented and i think he is probably the best like one-on-one score in our game today. I draw the line where people say that he's the un- most unstoppable score ever. I, oh, I, yeah, I, draw, yeah. I draw the line there. But, you know, for me, it comes to the thing of, yeah, he perfectly, I don't, I don't like watching him play because I think it's boring, but I think I do, or, you know, when we're talking about Houston Harden, right? To me, it comes back to the yeah, thing I'm a where glut, I'm a glutton. I'm Jabba the Hutt. I love that shit. <laughs> <laughs> just feed, feed me all the iso possessions from hard i hate it i hate it. i can't stand it because i love i love ball movement and i love like it's it's one of the reasons why i love watching the way the lakers were set up when lebron was in there because they, they literally move the ball and everyone they have so many guys that can pass and play make and they're smart and it, it made it a ton of fun to watch it's why i like watching the old the old spurs too um but anyway the the thing goes back to yeah 
say what you want about Harden, say what, whatever you want. He understands the rules and he understands what they're going to call. And it's yep. what makes him so effective when he does that drive, that, that rip through move. And yeah, yeah, you're, if you're playing good defense, you're going to hit his arm. Yeah. Like, or, or he, he, de- he, he started doing that thing in, uh, transition where I think it, I think it, I think it's what you were talking about, but it's kind of like the rip through where he swings his, like he starts low with his arms yeah, as he brings he the ball through. up. And yeah, he swings it through when the defender has his hands downwards. And it's like, yeah, that's smart. And that's, and that's why I love watching the craftiness of that. And also, yeah. when Harden's out on an island cooking dudes, like, I don't know. I just love that. Like, he's had some, he's had some of the nastiest crossovers I've oh, yeah. seen Absolutely. in the last few years. My I love brain, that shit. My brain automatically goes to, and you'll agree with this too, Jordan. <laughs> if you're playing on Harden's team, do you want to play with James Harden? <laughs> I do not. <laughs> I do. It, well, well, my I'm thinking about my game style. I would not know because <laughs> I would want the ball in the post. <laughs> to me, it's just boring, man. Like, fuck, I don't want to stand there and shoot threes. I don't want to stand in the corner and, sh- and watch you cook for 20 minutes. Okay, wait. Okay, so I have a I have a question for you then. I I'm not saying that Kobe. I think Kobe being a ball hog is kind of overstated, but he did have that play style. Um, so I'm wondering. Well, how it was up. for you watching a team that, yeah, the triangle facilitated ball movement and player movement to a degree in the half court, but we all know that if it's a game seven or push to comes to shove, Kobe's taking 30 fucking shots and you're not yeah, going to say anything I think about it. To me, was like the, the way that Kobe operated, it wasn't top of the key. I'm going to step back and do this stuff. It was co- like Kobe's literally driving the basket and he, you see Kobe's mind the way he, it's working is he's literally trying to find the open shot and the like because he knows the double's coming right Kobe, when you watch kobe highlights i think again like you said the passing thing's a little overrated where when you watch kobe in a full game he's passing out of doubles quite a bit like he's passing out of doubles or he's splitting a double to then pass off to the the the, the man that comes over to cover like he's finding openings, he's finding guys. That's dude. One of my favorite Kobe highlights of all time is the the uh, wraparound pass to Roni Turioff on, under the basket. Oh yeah, yeah, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, like, that one was sick. I, you never like when you when you watch Harden highlights. All of Harden highlights are I'm going to cook you at the top of the key and shoot a step back. They're not as to me um, using all of your like Kobe. Kobe was ISO, but he was still using all of his teammates. Like whether it was setting screens. Or whether it was it was give and go and all that kind of stuff, he was using all of his teammates, and every, it, you can still see the unit working to get him a shot, like a lot like Steph, where mm. you see the, the entire offense is based around getting Steph a shot, but it's using every resource available. Where I feel like with Harden, and again, this is talk about Houston Harden, Nets Harden is a completely different story. We can talk about that later. The well, but, okay, so I would I would cor- I, I, if I could correct you, I, I would say latter D'Antoni years Harden because Harden yeah. did read the league and assist and yeah, was yeah. playing more pick and roll early first yeah. four or five years in Houston. I was talking about like the last like three or four years where it was just him, it was the Chris Paul years. Yeah. Or it was him and Chris Paul, your turn, my turn. Yeah. And yeah. to me, like it's just Harden top of the key, everyone's spread out and then Harden's going to cook. And then if he gets or stopped, if they he double, should... he passes to the next guy. <laughs> yeah. And like, to me, that's really boring offense. Where again, when you watch the triangle and you watch Kobe, it is, yeah, he's taking handoffs, he's going give and goes, they're moving without the ball. The rest of the players are moving throughout the court, 
and and trying to create chaos and trying to create lanes for him rather than him creating having to create all on his own right mm-hmm. right right and i and um mm-hmm. i just th- i i think that um i i could see i could see where you're coming from with that um i guess it's also also we have to remember kobe was a technician in the post too so the game was more aesthetically pleasing um he had the footwork he had the up fakes he had all that stuff uh going on so it's definitely it it was different for sure kobe had a different aesthetic to his game that is probably more um pleasing to the eye if you're watching as a if you're watching as a fan um yeah with harden it was more you get the same stuff over and over again. Um, I could see them. I could see how people could get bored behind the constant monotony behind that. Bef- yeah, behind it, that method, I respect it. I fully respect it. To me, it just came down to man. I don't want to watch him do this for forty minutes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I get that. Um, let's move. Let's. Uh, I wanted to uh, ask you before we. I I had a few questions about the East, but I wanted to talk to you about the Pelicans actually, <laughs> because they once again choked another game in spectacular fashion against the New York Knicks on Sunday. Um, Lonzo, for some reason, helped on a Derrick Rose drive and gave up a corner three to a to Reggie Bullock, who was a good three-point shooter, to tie the game, <laughs> to put it into overtime, when really all he had to do was allow Derrick Rose to lay it up and they would be still up one with like two seconds left. Um, the Pelicans constantly are choking away games in spectacular fashion. It's they insane. constantly have players who don't fit around Zion and Ingram. And I saw a tweet the other day, and I completely agree. I cannot believe Giannis won back-to-back MVPs with Eric Bledsoe as the starting point guard because Drew Holiday is night and day. Drew yeah. Holiday has not only been fan- fantastic and probably one of the better seasons of his career, but goddamn, is that fit so much cleaner. And watching Bledsoe on the Pelicans, my God, it is awful. And watching Steven Adams clog it up, um, Stan Van Gundy is still stuck in 2009, I feel. I just feel like um, it goes back to, for me to, uh, before I turn it over to you, for me, it also goes back to David Griffin. I think he's kind of been overrated as a general manager because, yes, building a team around LeBron, and when you have LeBron, you have to go all in for a championship, right? You have to make win-now moves immediately. So he gets credit for that. But he's stacking up these picks, but some of the moves and trades he's made recently, I just I don't get it. And I don't get this team. Uh, I feel like it should be easy to... Not easy, but there should be an archetype of players you want to put around Zion and Ingram, right? Yeah. I think the fascinating to me, a lot of this stuff was experimental, and I understand that, like, uh, I, I'll, again, they're, to me, they're one of the best teams in the NBA, quarters one through three. Because <laughs> they always have leads. Sometimes three and a half quarters. They always have leads. Always. Mm-hmm. And then down the stretch, this has been a conversation for a while, and I'm curious what you think about it because I'm split. Do you think Ingram thinks he's the guy? Yes, 100%. And do you think it hurts them? 100%. Yeah. So because, that, and look, I can acknowledge. Me, I, like, I watch yeah. Zion, and I, I watch Zion, and I go, man, he is unstoppable. And then I go, all right, Pelican's down too. 
Let's get Zion the ball. And then Ingram takes like this weird mid-range jumper. And you're like, what? Uh, okay. Yeah. That's been, that has been a topic of discussion everywhere when it comes to the Pelicans, right? And we can acknowledge that, and especially you, because you, you've watched every minute of Ingram's career as a Laker. He has vastly improved. He, oh, his, his, his off-the-dribble three-point shot, it's real. Um, his leap as an offensive player is real. He's become a better, well, he's become a better playmaker, but last year that was more on display because they had more spacing um, yeah. to, you know, highlight that. But Zion is already the better player on that team. And, and that's, look, that's no disrespect to Ingram. And that's I think no disrespect to Ingram. I think Ingram is still one of the top 10 young players in this league. And he, he told Zach Lowe uh, what he has. We all know his insane work ethic, right? He told Zach Lowe in a feature story that he wants to be one of the best players in the NBA period and wants to be one of the greatest to do it. And so, of course, I don't blame him for having that mindset, right? And also, I think it goes back to Stan Van Gundy. Up until like the last week or two, Stan Van Gundy was giving the ball to Ingram in crunch time situations. When you have a guy, you literally cannot stop going from going to the rim and is shooting like damn near 60%. Shaq like efficiency, by the way. Like, like, I think, what was the record? He had like 25 straight games or whatever of 25 points and like 50% shooting. Do you realize how how absurd that is for a 6'6 guard? Like, well, he's he's a forward technically. Well, Stan Van Gundy's using him as a guard. I'm just going to call him a guard because it sounds cool. <laughs> but uh, no, you're right about that though. Um, but yeah, like I don't blame Ingram for thinking he is the guy because he definitely has the skill set for it. If he ever reached that full There's potential, just There's just a better option, and I don't think giving the ball to Zion all the time in crunch time will fix their problems. I think it goes beyond that. I think their roster is kind of. Like I said, the roster is really janky. And yeah. I think the coaching has been, quite frankly, it's sucked all year. And um, the revelation, the only thing I'll give Stan revelation for is giving Zion the ball. At yeah. But, yeah but, you know, <laughs> it's like Adam, it's like the Adam Silver getting rid of Donald Sterling thing. Yeah, it was like, like, this is an easy call. This is an easy call. Just give Zion the ball, the dude that, can, that has handle and can, uh, you know, when he gets that first step going, he teleports right by you. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think that's necessarily something to be like, you know, praise Jesus. He fucking, you know, gave gave Zion the ball. Um, <laughs> I don't you know, I don't think that's necessarily something to like praise to me. It's to me. I think it comes down to this year. If they don't sign Lonzo ball back to me, I go, what the fuck are they doing? Yeah, to me, that's to me. That's kind of the make and make or break move that I'm looking at. And again. <clears throat> We're both Lonzo Ball fans, so it's it's a little biased. But I think that like he, I think they should definitely bring him back. He is the piece to me that fits the most out of the ones that are there. That yeah, you need to. He is one of the ones that you need to keep around. And obviously, he wants twenty million. I think he's well worth it. I think that given what he's done this year and what he's shown you, obviously people just want to pick him apart for bad things. But I think that there's a great thread and. Obviously, Laker Twitter brought it up, but it's spread around to most people. And I think most people would agree. Other than shooting, what does Lonzo, what does Trey, Trey Young do better than Lonzo Ball? 
Passing. What's up? Passing. I think Lawrence is a better passer. Oh, I disagree heavily with that. I think I think Trey Young is a I think Trey Young is a top seven passer. I think Lonzo's a good passer, but to me, I think Trey Young has also the skill set to pass from different angles and platforms, especially when running pick and roll because of his handle. Um, also, I need to give Trey Young credit because you remember on the podcast when I said a few weeks ago that the Hawks, or what was it, a month ago, basically before they fired Lloyd Pierce that the Hawks suck and they are they are awful. They are not fun to watch and Trey Young's not fun to watch. I have to give the Hawks credit now. Like Trey Young has been playing a hell of a lot better. The Nate McMillan has simplified things and um the Hawks are now the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference, but Alonzo is a really good passer. I just think um Trey Young has is a better pick and roll passer. I think he I think- I think from what I've seen of Lonzo Ball throughout his career, to me, Lonzo Ball is top five passer in the NBA. So, I... Okay. Chris Paul. Yeah. LeBron. Trae Young. LeBron. Jokic. Ben Simmons. Like... I don't have that in there either. No, I think Ben Simmons is a better passer than Lonzo, too. Because, look, I think Lonzo is a great passer in the sense that he is a quick decision maker. Like, he'll quickly swing the ball side to side. Um, I just prefer, you know, off the or off the handle, off the dribble, pick-and-roll yeah, guys who can also pass out of a pick-and-roll while also doing the same passes that Lonzo this, does pretty much. This is the same discussion that I had when rondo was in his prime because i wasn't i'm not a big rondo guy Mm -hmm. i never i never was and to me it came down to i don't like guys that hold the ball too long and some to me it comes down to also luca too like well luca is a better passer than lonzo yeah but to me like it comes to me it comes down to a thing where i don't i like guys that make this the quick this the the swing pass and like the extra pass like the pat like the the hockey assist to me is one of the most underrated things in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And I like so many guys. You, I don't know. I don't know if you feel this way. Prime Rondo would assist hunt a lot. He would assist. Oh, I 100% agree. Like it's been documented too. Like he would definitely assist hunt, but and um, you're, and you're like, dude, there's a wide open dude here. That's an easy swing pass. There's a easy hockey assist right here. And you just won't do it. And it's a thing where, to me, I feel like there's a lot of guys in the NBA like that. Where, again, I don't think they do it on purpose, but I think they don't. See, they just see. They look for the home run. It's a. It's a heli. The it's the heliocentricity of an offense. Yeah. If I could use a fancy word like that, but yeah, um, like I, I think even Lonzo, to even me, with, isn't oh, a guy. To me, he is the extra guy. Well, and to, to me. Okay, so with those type of guys, like, is he passing it quickly because he's seen the play ahead, or is he, you know, passing it quickly because he won't, he doesn't want to do anything with it? So there's also some of that too, where I think that's the flaw with those guys. When I look at him, a lot of the time, so if you watch him close, a lot of time he when he quickly passes, he points to the other guy, like to the next pass, like he's he passes it to you and he points to you that there's a guy in the corner. Mm-hmm. Like as soon as he gets rid of it, so as you're catching the ball, he's pointing to you to pass to the other guy. 
So to me, that shows you that to me, that shows that he is looking ahead at these different plays and things that are going to happen. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Like to me, that to me, that's more important than like the singular heliocentric. I'm going to off the dribble pass. But again, like that, we're getting to like different kind of and granular, the granular stuff. I just think like with Trey Young, James Harden, Luca, like Ben Simmons, well, Ben Simmons is also it kind of he kind of falls into this mold with Lonzo, although he creates a lot more open threes than Lonzo does. I like my passers to be able to have enough handle and wiggle to get into the paint. Like I don't even think Lonzo is a better passer than Lamelo Ball um, or his younger brother. I think well, it's I, I think, think it's that, been clear like to I me that to me this is a thing where in terms of pure passing, I would take Lonzo. But LaMelo has the wiggle and the handle to create more situations to create open passes. I think, but my my, uh, point was um, with those heliocentric guys, I also think they can make those same type of passes that Lonzo has. If, like, say they were in a situation where they are the ones, and it's rare, obviously, because they have the ball in their hands a lot, but there are situations where they will be the guy sometimes catching the ball on a swing swing and then they swing it to another because yeah. they see the play like to me like lonzo oh let's say lonzo theoretically is better than those guys at the you know the quick passing and the and you know the uh you know swinging it to the next guy quickly pointing to where the guy's open i think those heliocentric offensive players can do that too but they have the for me the differentiator is they also have the vision and passing ability to just do it on the bounce sure. so that that's where i would i mean lonzo also has that uh to me uh, lonzo has so this is a weird thing to me lonzo has a confidence issue and because ucla lonzo has all this stuff i know he has it in his bag he yeah ucla lonzo yeah when his handle wasn't as big of an issue like yeah so to me i think he does have it and we, there's certain situations where he breaks guys down. Where when he's there's nights where he's feeling it, and he looks like you said Alonzo. Oh yeah, he was. Bit, there, he's shown a lot more of pick, bet more chops as a pick and roll passer uh, this season. I would like the up in terms of like more possessions. He's I've seen him in a lot more possessions with yeah. a pick and roll he too. This, he had this in LA too, where he has nights where when he feels. When he's feeling himself a little bit, and you see the wiggle in his step, and you see the confidence, and you're like, "Oh, okay, Hilano's on his shit tonight," and then he'll he looks to me like he has all this stuff. And so to me, it's to me that's why I put him in that air. To me, it's the consistency in which he does it that's that needs to be better. Mm-hmm. But there's no to me, there's no doubt in, it, in my mind that he, when he's on his game, belongs in that conversation. It's just again a, a confidence thing, a consistency thing. Uh, Obviously, if he was consistent, I think he'd be an all-star and he'd be one of the top guys. But he's not that, and he doesn't have that confidence. And he doesn't have that consistency. And so, that, I, to me, definitely—I don't want to discredit one because obviously, like we've mentioned before, we're we love the Ball brothers. Um, I think Lonzo is a very—I think Lonzo is a special passer just in that department you were talking about. It's just that I would take the—I it's just it's just a preference. I would take the guys who who I don't are. Think- I don't think we're arguing at all. I think we're just having. Oh no, different. I don't think so either. 
I don't. I think we're having just different opinions of what we value. Yeah. Yeah. Th- that's all. Um, it, Lonzo is still a good player, and I think the Pelicans. Was, somebody was asked, or me and my friend were talking about like, I'm not sure if he's worth. 20 million but i would pay that for him and now that's also the way the league is going um i'm not sure if he's worth that but the way the league's going i would have i would absolutely pay him i mean i would rather have i was if i was the lakers i'd rather have lonzo back than dennis schroeder oh yeah yeah i could see yeah just because of the fit and stuff like that i would rather have Lonzo for 20 million for a younger player Mm -hmm. yeah for sure um Real quickly, have you looked at the um, the seeds ten through twelve in the East and the battle for that tenth and final play that playing game? The Raptors have been trying to tank, and they have won three in a row and have found themselves in the tenth seed. The Chicago Bulls are now on the outside looking in, and they have kind of been awful since the Vucevic trade. Um, Dean wants to walk. You think so? You think so? Well, he said he wants to test free agency. He says he's, you know, he's going to test free agency. Oh well, yeah, that's well, yeah, that's what you should do as a yeah. play. So he's to, he's going to get a bag, by the way. Yeah, he's going to get a lot of money from somewhere, and I don't know if given <laughs> given what's happened so far with this Vucevic thing, I don't know if they, I don't know if either side wants this. Yeah, um, it's uh not. Although I do want to give the Vooch Levine combo um another season, I guess. Uh just a full I like, season. I like the fit on paper, but it hasn't worked out at all. Yeah, it hasn't worked it hasn't really worked out so far. And that's why I kind of want to give it like a um, you know, when the season goes back to normal, I think a lot of evaluations will become more easier and apparent um too. And I just want to see what a full season of Levine and Vooch looks like. But also it goes back to I think when we talked about it on the trade deadline, you know, pod that we did, while I like the fit, the Bulls still had a problem of not having a lot of connectors on the floor. Um, yeah. Or, you know, floor connectors like Tom Tomas Sadoransky, he's a decent, okay passer. They've been using Thad Young a lot on the post to pass all the time to kind of make up for the lack of, you know, <laughs> passing <laughs> that's going on in, in Chicago right now. Um, but, so this is it's not looking good for my bulls right now. You brought, up, you brought up Thaddeus Young, and I thought about it the other day, and you'll you'll have the same thought. I looked him up, and how is he only thirty two? That's dude, <laughs> dude. You're telling dude the whole his whole career in Philadelphia. Every time I looked at his age, I'm like, he's that old. Like he's still like he's still like Thaddeus like, Young was I, always like the I, he's still this age. I'm like I, what? I, my my touch point to Thaddeus Young, I still can like to me, him and Udonis Haslam are the same age. <laughs> it seems like they've been around the league that long. Like it's yeah, he's still only 32 and he's still a productive bench player. But when yeah. the Bulls are using Thaddeus Young as their best passer, um it's not great. I, I felt I feel the same way about Rudy Gay. Yeah. <laughs> For real, like, and he's been, he's, I'm glad he's kind of recovered post Achilles tear. He's kind of been a, he's become a better player in yeah. San Antonio, along with DeMar DeRozan, by the way. Um, But uh, yeah, it's not looking good for my Bulls. I would actually, if I were to guess, I would probably bet on the Wizards to. Um, yeah, I mean, 
Russ is Russ is dragging these boys along. <laughs> yeah, Russ and Beal, but yeah, Russ has been on another one of those hot streaks again. We're like, it's weird. Russ will average a triple double, but it's like on thirty percent shooting and twenty percent shooting from three, yeah. and then he'll have weeks where he's averaging a triple double with like. 45 35 uh 80 numbers and it's like oh okay okay russ like <laughs> oh you're like you're kind of back for a bit but i would actually kind of bet on the wizards right now to get the 10th seed over the bulls and the raptors so i know we've talked i know we've talked about this i'm just gonna say again i love russell westbrook so much he's one of my favorite players to watch love him he's great i hate having Russell. I wouldn't want Russell Westbrook on my team, but I love <laughs> Russell Westbrook. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I, well, it, it depends for me. I'm a, I'm a Russell, I'm a Russell Westbrook centrist. I think it's more so I have had some run-ins with Russell Westbrook fans in real life. Um, yeah, that can kill ma- anyone. Mainly, mainly, uh, my most infamous one was, I think I said it briefly on the pod before, but, um after Steph Curry's unanimous MVP season, I was at my frat brother's birthday party <clears throat> and you know, got a little um toasted, if you will. And um someone had the audacity to say that Stephen Curry was overrated and Russell Westbrook was better, and I was just like, "Wait, what the fuck?" Like you if if you've seen the movies where somebody says something really weird in a huge gathering and they say the weird thing and then the record scratches and everything's quiet that was me in my head i was like wait what (laughs) and everybody just stopped and looked at me because they know i'm a huge hoop head and they were just like "Uh uh-oh here comes christmas standing for steph curry and i was like no like i am not standing for this and he was like russell westbrook's a better player he's a better defender and i'm like no the fuck he's not (laughs) like like what it like so I've had my run-ins with Russ Stans, but I love watching Russell Westbrook, I yes, will say. Like, he's one of my favorite players to watch. I have so much respect for him. I do not want him on my team because <laughs> there's no there's no universe where Russell Westbrook should be on the same team as Kevin Durant and take more shots. No. No. There is no world. Like this so this, so one of my reasons why I think the Thunder could have made a few NBA finals with the Russ KD duo. They were obviously close. I think in Kevin Durant's MVP year, Serge Ibaka had a really bad calf injury in the Western yeah. Conference finals. And that kind of submarined the Thunder, I thought, especially defensively. Um, but there were a few opportunities for the duo to get to the finals and they had some bad luck, or they get or they blow a 3-1 lead to the Warriors before the Warriors blew a 3-1 lead to the Cavaliers. Right. But the one, the year they made the finals, and yeah, maybe some element of it was they're young. They have no idea what they're doing. They're just playing hoops, whatever. James Harden being the de facto point guard in those playoff runs, especially when he turned around that Western Conference finals against the Spurs in 2012. Remember, the Spurs were on fire towards the end of that season and they blasted through the playoffs up until the Western Conference Finals where the Spurs were up 2-0 and James Harden was the reason the Thunder came back and won that series. He was the point, de facto point guard. Russ got to play a more natural position and Kevin Durant's the most malleable superstar ever, so you could just place him anywhere on the court. But I think that is kind of why 
the James Harden trade is always going to be looked back on as one of the worst trades of all time because the Thunder had a potential. I, I mean, I'm sure you thought it at the time. For the next decade, I thought it was going to be the Thunder and the Bulls with Derrick Rose leading the charge and, you know, obviously the Heat. And uh, maybe like, you know, maybe if Kobe, maybe if the Lakers did a few moves here and there that wasn't the Frankenstein super team or whatever, maybe Kobe could have had one more year in there where he was in the mix. But for the next decade, that was it was the Thunder, right? And I, I mean, think James I mean, I, Harden for me was a big part of that. The what if of that Thunder team, I put right up with the Orlando Magic, the Shaq Penny Orlando Magic. Yeah, that's a good one. Where that I just felt like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. What happened? Yeah, it's not often you get the two pillar positions of a team, right? And I know positions maybe are archaic now, but having a bona fide point guard to set the table and score like Penny Hardaway with a center like Shaq, you would think, yeah, yeah that's going... And then you had Dennis Scott, Nick Anderson, all those guys. But the thing is, people people don't bring up Nick Anderson and D. Scott enough. Not only were they shooters, but they were athletic. They were the first like real athletic 3 and D guys when you think about like guys that were three-point specialists, but also but not like the lanky white guy, but like the really athletic <laughs> can defend one through one through four kind of yeah. guy. Like that's a huge piece to have around Shaq. And then you had uh Horace Grant there too, as just an extra yeah. kind of bully guy with Shaq. The, yeah, the- and Horace Grant was a really good player back then too. He was coming off of, you know, a three peat with the Bulls and um you know, one year where they made it to the conference finals when it was just Scotty. Like yeah. Horace Grant was a damn good player. Yeah. So when you look at when you look at them and you go, wow, what? You know, obviously we know what happened, but when you look at them and you go, you know, kind of what if, it's the same thing that I have with the the Thunder, where you go, Man, what if they just kept this going? Yeah. And um it's yeah, it, it's gonna be they the the thing that killed me is this is like this is why you have to have good ownership is always going to be the biggest advantage in sports because yep. they did not want to pay the luxury tax for fucking James Harden, Kevin Durant, Serge Ibaka, and Russell Westbrook. But years and years later, they were willing to go into the luxury tax for Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and Carmelo Anthony and that whole roster. <laughs> like, bruh. Like, come on, dog. Like, dude, That's just like a bruh moment right there. But that... But uh, it's it's good to reminisce on the past and the what ifs. I really love that Thunder team. Like they, I thought they, they hit. It was crazy. They hit on the lottery so many. T- well, obviously Kevin Durant was easy. I actually thought Kevin Durant when I was in high school, and it was Kevin Durant versus Odin. I was more drawn to Durant as somebody who would take first than Odin, as much as Odin was dominant at Ohio State. I just never seen anybody like Kevin Durant at that point in my life. Like at totally Texas, fair. I was a big Odin guy, uh, and again, I think we. Ha- this, I think on our one of our very first podcasts, I brought this up. Of to me, there's an alternate universe where Odin stays healthy and the league trends big for the Ab- next decade. Absolutely, absolutely, um, because Odin was that dominant at Ohio State. Odin was that Odin, guy. He was and that the- dude. Like there, were, trust me, I wasn't arguing back then that odin shouldn't be the number one pick i just would have taken durant because but dude i was think about 
think about when you look at Odin's career and you think about when he was healthy, he was doing doing work in the NBA too when he was healthy. Yeah, when he finally played, he was I think he was averaging I think the first year he was playing, he was averaging like 15 and 10 or something like that. I'm about to look this yeah, up while you talk about Odin. 60% from the field. I think he's playing like 20 20ish minutes a game on like a like a minutes restriction and he got hurt again. And it's like, well, shit. Uh you know, he can't really get anything going. And then even when he came back from Miami, he played like a couple games in Miami. You're like, man, he still can move a little here. Yeah. Um, well, well, okay. So I got okay. So I got this wrong. Uh, he averaged nine points a game when he came back, but in his second year with Portland, he was going. He was doing some work. In his second year in Portland, he was averaging eleven and nine, and he was starting to figure it. Because remember, defense was his calling card too was his yeah. main calling card. He was averaging over two blocks a game and started 21 games. Like he was starting to, or not starting to, but he was finally on the court and you could see like the physical gifts that he had and yeah. why he was considered number one, had, you know? He had quick feet. He had a quick, he had a nice second, second pop on his jump. Like he, yeah. Man, I mean, Greg Golden was I had shit. no idea though, till years later that he, um one leg was two inches shorter than the other. That would have yeah. been a, red that would have been a red flag for me also although i still would have taken dirt i was just looking at guys like kobe t-mac dwayne wade or early <laughs> dwayne wade by the way um you know finals in the third durant, year dwayne like, wade durant i looked like, at durant and i was like what the fuck is this <laughs> durant was like, hey, do you like kobe bryant yeah do you want kobe bryant but seven inches taller <laughs> do you want kevin durant or do you want kobe bryant but also he's like five inches taller than tracy mcgrady it's like oh okay <laughs> I, like i was watching him at texas i'm like oh, no this dude's an alien <laughs> like speaking of aliens chet today you see what happened chet holmgren today yeah he's a zag now that maybe is the zags will finally win a national championship and not choke but yeah <laughs> that's, that's such a perfect fit for him as a player. Oh yeah, yeah. They're going to be able to run so much offense through him. It's exactly what they need. He mm -hmm. he's going to have a blast there, and I'm so excited to see what he does. He's a seven foot point guard. Jesus Christ, <laughs> he's a monster, dude. Chet I can't wait to dive in on Evan Mobley film. By the way, I'm going to do that soon. By the way, like, like I, know, I know we keep talking about like the the fade for Cade, but like Chet Holmgren is the real deal. Yeah. We're gonna have to come up with the tanking phrase for a Chet Holmgren that uh that rhymes. Holmgren, fret. Holmgren, fret, fret for Chet, fret for Chet. Uh, we're gonna have to workshop some more. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have to workshop some more. Uh, did you have any? Did you have any other? Did you have any topics that were on your mind before um we no, wrap it up here, Mister Chris? Uh. If we did this, if we did this a couple years ago, I would have, or not a couple years. If we did this last week, I would have been all up on the Lakers winning against the Nets and the Jazz. Um, oh but. yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it was also like I, I guess I did have a few thoughts on the Kyrie Irving Dennis Schroeder thing, but I mean, it's not really that serious. Also, I just don't want to open up this can of worms for people who shouldn't be talking about this topic to talk about it aka white people so <laughs> because i don't want to give them the the there there this is one that they should stay out of with the whole you know kyrie irving dennis schroeder uh incident so to speak but your lakers got a big win it was a, they've been afloat hey, me.
they've been the Lakers have been afloat since uh the Davis LeBron injuries. They what are they five hundred now? Um, nine and nine in their or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean uh, they're they're floating five hundred and they're staying afloat. Uh, the, my funniest interaction was I was I was hyped on that Jazz win, and uh, mm. you know I was I posted about it and I had a Jazz fan go calm down. We didn't have Gobert and and Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> and I was like, that's a weird stance, man. <laughs> that is such a weird take to have, considering who's missing on the other side. Yeah, I was like, I was like, cool, you can have him back. Can we have LeBron AD and we'll see this? We'll run this back. It's like, oh, okay, so you want to run it back in the playoffs with full strength? All right, we'll bet. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, I I literally stared at it too. I was like, did he really just like tell me to calm down because they didn't have their two best players? Dude, okay, I'm I'm tired of jazz bloggers. Let me just say that. Most of the jazz media and bloggers are fucking insufferable. They are still mad that Ben Simmons won rookie of the year over Donovan Mitchell. And now every time Ben Simmons or another player has the audacity to say, hey, I'm a good player. Maybe I should win this award. Jazz fans are all like, oh, look at this cocky Ben Simmons. He's not even defensive player of the year. Look at Rudy Gobert. Let me throw these metrics at you, even though he's going to have trouble replicating that in the playoffs if, uh, you know, he doesn't get his shit together switching out on the perimeter. Like, I'm a jazz block, along with fans, the entire state of Utah, jazz bloggers and media members are insufferable. (laughs) I'm just going to say that to to end on that note. (laughs) Hopefully D-Wade changes them. I love D Wade. No, uh, Utah fans are probably having a conniption now that Wade is part owner for <laughs> other reasons I will not say on this podcast. Oh God! No, uh, you know, for you know, might might be a skin pigmentation reasons, but <laughs> yikes! <laughs> yikes! We're bringing it all here on the Bob. <laughs> all the all the jazz jokes, <laughs> all the jazz slander, but yeah, all uh, the jazz slander. I have it for you. Again, I wouldn't be. I it would make me extremely happy, and it wouldn't surprise me if the Jazz lost in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, no, it wouldn't. It they're like the team on the and they're they're the both ends of the spectrum team where I wouldn't be surprised. Well, if the Jazz keep the number one seed, because they would only have to face one of those big dogs on the path to the uh, conference yeah. finals, but. If they're anything lower than that, then yeah, the, an early exit to me is in their future, which I will, you know, gladly just, you know, enjoy. Like, dude, like, if, the Ma- if the Mavs, if the Mavs drop and and you know get that eighth seed, I can see the Mavs beating the Jazz. I'm not ready to go that far yet. <laughs> the Mavs are the Mavs are a little too inconsistent. They're not in. They've been playing better, obviously, but to me, they still have some very glaring flaws. Luca's floating threes from the <laughs> floating Luca is incredible. He has I I Luca has been amazing in the especially in the last like 25 30 games. But yeah. I think the Jazz are a way more complete team and have better players top down. They the Mavericks might have the player. It might be a Clipper situation where Luca can win like two games by himself, but I think the J- I, I have to give more respect to the Jazz in that. I think they're a more complete team and have better players top down. But Fair. it'd be hilarious. I I definitely would. I definitely would text you and be like, "LOL" in all caps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I just don't. I have I have zero faith in the Jazz. 
I have absolutely zero faith in the Jazz. I have two faith in the Jazz. Just the number two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if they have to play, if if they run into any of these other four big teams, there's no way. I yeah, I think, think they would lose to the. I think they would lose to the Suns, the Lakers. I think the Clippers would edge them out in a close six or seven game series. I think the Nuggets would lose. Um, I think I think the Nuggets that's constructed. I think the Nuggets would give him a lot of trouble. I think Jokic would take a sledgehammer to go bear all series, but I think the Jazz at that point, it, I think the talent level, I think, exceeds the Nuggets. If you take away, you know, obviously you can't take away Jokic, but you get what I'm saying. I think yeah. outside of Jokic, I think the Jazz talent takes over. I The Murray injury really kills everything, man. I really yeah, think it offense, does. Their whole offense changes. That's we started the show with, but yeah, he, he yeah. their whole offense changes when once uh once he goes out so yeah yeah shit happens uh anyway that's our show for this week thank you all for watching very awesome show today I feel thank you guys for and yes, uh thank you all and thank you all for listening for 20 weeks if you guys have been here for 20 weeks thank you for listening for 20 weeks appreciate that that's uh that's awesome but uh, you guys need you guys need better things to do with your time but thank you this is true <laughs> This is true. Uh, but anyway, thanks guys for listening. We'll be back next week. Uh, see you then. The B.O.B.